welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. I'm on Skype with Stefan Krulman. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Stefan? Yeah, that's uh, correct, yeah. Okay. Stefan and I are both members of the Mediterranean Shipping Network on LinkedIn. A while, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. A while back, somebody in that network had, had uh, listed a bunch of podcasts for, for mariners to listen to and had mentioned that mine was one of them. And then I reached out and I said, hey, I'd like to actually interview people that are in the uh, commercial maritime industry because I think that's something us as sailors, we see these ships, but we really don't have much contact with uh, the captains or what goes on on those ships or the the workers of those ships. There's a couple of YouTube channels that I watch that are put out by crew members of uh, of a commercial maritime ship. And I thought, well, you know, we're all out there on the sea together. I have a particular interest in maritime shipping because I wrote my master's thesis in geography on the Greek shipping industry, uh, the social networks of the Greek shipping industry. So I'm interested in it. And I, since this is my podcast, I get to talk to anybody I think might be interesting to talk to. So, Stefan, you and I have gone back and forth a couple times through email. And I want to learn about your entrance into the commercial shipping industry. What was your interest, your background? And, and I'll just let you take it from there and ask questions along the way. Okay, well, so uh, yeah, just for everybody, so I'm at the moment working as a first officer on board one of our ships for TUI Cruises. TUI is more well-known on the German-European market. We have uh, mostly uh, German guests. But we are also 50% owned by World Caribbean, which is most probably more popular to you all. Uh, um, yeah, one of the big American uh, cruise companies. Yeah, and I'm also with the cruise ships. Our ships are all called Mindshift, the, the blue ones, Mindshift 1 to 6, and the Mindshift Hertz. And yeah, also part of this, we are also cruising in the uh, Mediterranean seas. And uh, yeah, there we are also going to meet time to time one of your sailing vessels. Okay, so you, how did you end up going into the shipping industry? Was it something you wanted to do uh, from when you were young, or does your, is your family involved with it? How did you develop your interest in working in shipping? Uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, I'm living in uh, North Rhine-Westphalia in Germany. It's not really at the coast, and I have to say I'm the only one in my family going to sea and also the only one really is connected to sea all my father my grandfather uh, then nobody of them was connected to sea not either had a sailing boat but what we did all the time when I was young every summer uh, we did holiday on one of the German islands so on the North Sea uh, Germany I think has around seven eight islands and yeah so this was my holiday and every time when we went to the island of course we had to take a ferry and I think that came from that I started to get addicted to the sea and uh, to the ships, seeing them. And from that, yes, then I wanted to start to go to sea. And um, actually, I started with the inland navigation. So in uh, whole Europe, is basically connected with uh, rivers and channels. So I started a three-year internship on a small barge 
basically going from uh, Germany to Rotterdam, taking coal, coming back or going to the coast, taking some grain from Hamburg or taking something else from Hamburg and bringing it to the inner side. This is basically what I started with, did the three years, called Indian Waterway Navigation. And yeah, from there afterwards, I uh, gained my certificate to go to university and I decided I want to go to the big ships. So I started to study nautical science, takes about four years. And during the four years, you have to do a couple of internships. So at least you have to stay like, like a trainee or we call it cadet for 365 days on board. And this I did on many ships. I did it on a container, on multipurpose. And the end, my last one was then with Tui Cruises uh, on the old Manchester one, which we sold already. And from that point, I started to fall in love with the cruising. And yeah, then after I finished my studies in 2016, I started as third officer, went and second officer, and now since um, the end of last year, I'm now first officer with three cruises. So you basically worked your way up through the scuppers, as they say then. So you started on a barge, and I've, you know, I've actually had dinner. I remember one time when I was in a little island in Greece, and there were a bunch of sailors there, and we all got together for dinner at one of the local tavernas, and turns out that one of the one of the people there was from Germany he and he owned one or two barges that ran up and down the rivers and that and, and his vacation was going sailing so he didn't get enough of the uh, water running the barges up and down so he was also sailing but that's a that's an interesting business cuz i i thought that very they have very short crews on those barges don't they they have small yeah, crews yeah and on uh, the barges is totally different i mean on the barges uh, I worked for, it was only three crew, so we had the, like a uh, captain, uh, uh, officer, and me as the trainee. That's all what we had. We had also, uh, yeah, you have a small accommodation in the back, so everybody has a small, small room, then you have a shared kitchen, and then the stuff, so everything you do by yourself, so you, you buy your stuff yourself, you cook, you wash, you, yeah, you're basically like a small family, only with three persons. I think my barge was the length of 85 meters, this was, I think, nine meters, and we had a draft of 2.5 meters, so it was a quite small batch. But this you need to go to all the um, channels which we have in Germany. So from there, you went and worked on various other ships then to get your 360-day requirement to be able to sit for other tests. Is that correct then? Yeah, yeah. afterwards, uh, when I started to study, I worked then on different ships you need this 365 uh, day cadet ships to basically to get your license as uh, marina or we call it officer of the watch and there i've been on uh, on container ships tanker multi-purpose and at the end and also on a passenger ship okay and i gather you have formal examinations that you have to pass to get to these levels in addition to the uh, to the time on board is that correct yeah, yeah, I mean, first of all, first in the three years, there was like also, of course, it was like in Germany, we have this uh, apprenticeship called, and you have like, um, you, you're choosing a company, but you're still going every year to school. So I, this, the three years, I had like three years, uh, three months per year, I had like school, and at the end, I had an exam uh, um, of everything. So I'm certified in the Invader Way Skipper. And afterwards, when I studied, it's also four years, but this was not the fixed. Univer uh, company, you choose university. I studied in, in Bremen, 
Um, and from there, yeah, then I had you have all the exams and everything and all this STCW, um, yeah, so basically this one is worldwide, the same standard. Okay. And so what is the curriculum like at the at the university that you chose to go to at Bremen then? Uh, yeah, basically it starts off um, like every uh, every degree, so every, um, yeah, whatever you study. So you have basically at the bit like physics and then you're also having um, um, mathematics, you're having um, all the standard subjects because it's the technical and then you're changing more particular you're having navigation um, navigation you're going to have a training on a, on the actus you're going to have training on gyro you're having training on celestial navigation uh, you're having uh, training uh, also medical so I had to spend two weeks in a hospital to learn how to treat persons because for example in case if you're on a container ship mostly the second officer or the third officer the union officer are responsible for the medical treat of the crew. Now, since I'm, of course, on a cruise ship, we're going to have certified doctors on board. Um, and this kind of, you have cargo, you have stability. So basically all the subjects you need um, to handle the ship. Also, you're having uh, how to to treat with a person, so like personal management and, yeah, that's kind of okay. basically what you have. So it's specifically a maritime college, so you're ter- learning maritime subjects as a general rule then? Yes. This course uh, was uh, typically um, called nautical science. So basically after this course, you not only obtain your bachelor degree, you're also um, yeah, basically getting your license officer of the watch, and then you're able to sail as third or second officer of any kind of ship worldwide. So you start out as second or third officer, and now I'm looking at your uh, your LinkedIn profile. You're the chief mate of uh, of the comp- of the international. Now the, you have here international maritime management as the company you work for. And what was the name of the cruise ship company? I didn't quite catch that. I think we might have broke up that you that you work for. The company name uh, is uh, Tui Cruises. And this one is like a joint venture. So TUI Cruise is owned 50% by the um, travel agency TUI, which is operating mostly in European. So it's the biggest, I think even the biggest worldwide travel agency. And they have a joint venture with Royal Caribbean based in Miami. And together they basically have them the fleet of the seven ships. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It's not THL. So what was the name of the maritime company that owns that it, it's... Tui Marine is that what you what you said it was? It's Tui Cruises. Do you work on a specific ship, or do you move from ship to ship to ship? Uh, actually, I moved a lot to the ships because um, you have to know Tui Cruises was uh, founded in two thousand nine, so it's just about uh, ten eleven years old, and they started to buy a uh, used ship, and then they buy another one. And when I joined, they had already three ships, so the first new built Mineship 3. And then basically every year they built a new one, so then they got the Mineship 4, the Mineship 5, the Mineship 6. And then they built the new Mineship 1, the new Mineship 2. So we built up six ships in war. So that's why I also jumped a bit between the ships. I also was involved in some startups, Mineship 6 and the new Mineship 2. So I was also in the shipyard overseeing all the whole process and coming in but now since we we are settled a bit because our next new ship is planned in uh, 
2023. So we're having another three years of break, no new ship coming. Now they're trying to, to have us more on, a, on one fixed ship so that you have like a, like a fixed crew in every ship. And at the moment I'm uh, on mine ship three and the ships, um, they are they're approximately 300 meters long and they're having like uh, 2,700 guests and 1,000 crew on board. Okay, I'm on their website, and it's all in German, so I can't understand a word that's on the website. <laughs> <laughs> it's tuicruises.com, I assume, yeah. is the website, right? Yeah. Yes, I, exactly. This is uh, because all our markets, so mine shift, the whole concept is based uh, for German. So, of course, that way also joint venture. So we basically, with our seven ships only on the German market, everything what we does on board, so if you go in a restaurant, if you go to a presentation, whatever you see, it's basically done in German. Of course, the language itself, English, because we're having like 60 nationalities who's working actually from this 1,000 crew. But yeah, for the guest itself, it's only German, Switzerland, Austrian, Luxembourg, and then sometimes some Dutch people, but mostly uh, German. And it looks like you also have barges that go up and down rivers. Is that correct? The same company? Uh, yeah, they're not not straight to us, but like I told you, the, we are like part of the TUI group. And the TUI group uh, having uh, not only us, they're having also Hapagloid Kreuzfahrten, they're having Marella Cruises, so basically two other companies. Then they're having also River Cruises. I think we have already 50 airplanes, uh, hotels. Uh, travel agencies, so it's a huge company behind. What are the main ports of call that you have you have uh, gone with with your job? Uh, main port of calls. This depends, of course, always on the area. So we basically we having different trading areas. Um, first of all, we this, uh, we have like the summer season and the winter season. Mm-hmm. So summer season means. Uh, we are staying closer to Germany, so we are in the Baltic Sea, North Sea, and in the Met. And then we have the winter season, that means when in Germany getting more cold, our ships are more designed for good weather, so we don't have so much indoor spaces, especially the upper decks are all open. So then we are moving, um, also one ship is in the Met, but the most of we are in Canary Islands. Um, we are going to US and then later Caribbean. Um, yeah, we go to Central America. Um, there's basically the more warmer places and we will move to. And I think we have one ship in Asia trading, so we're going to different places where the temperature is more high. And then we're setting up like a cruise. For example, if you would say now the Baltic cruise or whatever, you have like a starting point, would be most probably from Kiel. And then you're having like different cruises, approximately like 10 days. And then you would go to St. Petersburg, um, to Stockholm, to Helsinki, to like all the popular places in 10 days. We're having maybe like two three days. So basically, within 10 days, you travel like eight ports, two days at sea, and then you will drop off again in Kiel. That would be like a cruise. And of course, similar, we have also in, uh, in the Mediterranean. And um, since Germany have a quite good flight connection to Palma de Mallorca, so most of our ships, using our Palma de Mallorca as our home port. So from there, we call it turnover. That means all the guests going home and new guests are coming. So basically all the 2,700 guests leaving the same day the ship and the same day 2,700 new guests coming on board. <laughs> That's a fast turnaround. That's a very fast turnaround. So Yeah, because we are, we are here. 
we are here possible to do that because we're having only flight down at Milano with two, two and a half hours. And we're arriving like four o'clock in the morning, leaving 20, 300 in the evening. And like I said, two years even their own airplanes. So basically they can fly back and forward two, three times per day. And then they're basically flying with, with new guests already to Palma, taking guests to going home back and forward. So we're having basically in both ways uh, the airplanes are filled. So they own their own planes, they fly the people in, and so the flights are always full going both directions. They fly in and out, and the people coming in just wait to, to load onto the ship. Yes, and they even... Are you still there? Yeah, a bit uh, difficult to understand you. Okay, I think... No, it's better, no, it's better, yeah. Yeah, Skype was breaking up for a second there, so I we lost each other for, uh, for about 15, 20 seconds there. So you're saying, last I heard from you, you said uh, we're, we... Uh, you pick them up and you fly them back and forth, and you were then you were continuing on that. I'm sorry to have you repeat that, but I lost a lot of what you said there. Yeah, basically that's what we're doing because we we having also, especially in Palma de Mallorca, we have our own buses. So basically, also the guests from the airport get picked up, and then they will be brought also by our own buses straight to, to the ship. Okay, so I'm looking at your resume on LinkedIn, and you were before you went f to work for Tui. Uh, you also you also worked as a deck cadet for a German tanker, the German Tanker Shipping Group, and uh, now you've worked now you've worked for a tanker company and you've worked for a cruise ship company. What do you look as the big difference between the two? How's your experience been? Uh, I'm not sure if I got you correct. You said what is the difference between uh, and tanker and the cruise ships? Or oh no, I, I know the difference, but your experience as an as a uh, working on the ships, what what did what did you do on the tanker? Versus what I know what you do on the on the cruise ship, you're an officer of the watch and you're responsible for navigation. But when you worked on the uh, on the tanker, what were you doing there? Yeah, basically the tanker was also was part of still of my traineeship. So basically I was as a student there, but I did basically like a officer assistant. And there the difference is basically the side job. So basically also the officer does what I'm doing on a cruise ship. So I'm. Uh, responsible to bring the ship safe from A to B. And additionally, on a tanker, of course, you are responsible for the cargo and then depends on your rank. So if you, um, they're having on a tanker, they're having less officers. You're having a third, a second, a chief and a captain. There's basically four officers. And the three officers, uh, second, third, and chief, they are doing the watches, like four hours on watch, eight hours off. And then their side duty is a third officer is mostly uh, safety. So he does um, the inspection of all the safety stuff. And, uh, yeah, beside this watch, then you have a second officer. He is mostly responsible for the navig uh, navigation. So he does the, the route planning. He does the chart corrections. He makes the GMSS tests and so on, checks all the equipment. And then you're having uh, the chief officer. And the chief officer is then... Uh, responsible for the cargo and stability. So he does the plans, how to fill the... Yeah, all this thing on the tanker. Basically, he's responsible to making the cargo hold ready and checking afterwards the papers. So of the two, uh, working on a cruise ship versus working on a tanker, which do you enjoy the... Which would you enjoy the most? I mean, obviously, I decided not to stay in a tanker. I decided okay. to move to the cruise ship. Okay, so you could have so, stayed on the tanker if you wanted to, but you moved to the cruise ship area then. 
Do you have much interaction yes, with Do you have much interaction with the the guests on the cruise ship, or are you pretty much on the bridge all the time? Um, interaction with the guests depends on us. I mean, at the moment, I'm first officer, so I don't have pretty much interaction because we with Tui we are like we're um, not that classical, so we don't don't have a captain's dinner, we don't have an officer dance or whatever. Some maybe old, more old-fashioned cruise lines have. So my interaction with the guests is only if I'm moving around in the, in the guest area. Or what I love to do is bridge tours. So sometimes, actually, mostly the captain does it, but some captains, they also give it to me. And then that's the part where I interact with the guests. So I'm having like a half hour, one hour, and then I'm showing them around the bridge, explaining what I'm doing, how the equipment works. This is basically the, my interaction. The, this is coming more on a, on a higher level. If you later a staff captain or captain, then you're going on a stage, you're having speech, you're having cocktails, you're having much more interactions. But this comes with a higher rank. Let me ask you a question. You know, I'm a, I'm a cruising sailor, so I'm a uh, uh, I, I'm the guy that's always in your way when you're moving those big boats around. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what interaction or well, tell us any experiences you've had in dealing with cruising sailors good or bad yeah of course i mean uh, you always have some sailing for us of course always sometimes too difficult to see them unfortunately not every sailing vessel is investing in is and not every sailing vessel having uh, the right radar reflector i can really at that moment highly recommend everybody to put it in place even so we you have to see on a cruise ship you're having two officers at all times on the bridge. That means one officer is doing nothing else than sitting in front and monitoring active radar, looking out whatsoever, and the other guy sitting next to him or doing some tight jobs. If you're on a cargo ship, like in a container tanker, you're only one person. So, of course, you have also a lookout, but you're also only one officer. That means there's not a person sitting the whole time on the radar screen and looking out of the window. He does maybe also chart correction. Maybe the ship officer does the stability. That means he is not that focused. And if you are a small sailing boat and you are not using IES, you are not having the radar reflector, it might be very difficult um, yeah, to see this person. And then it can become tourist situations. Okay, so your your recommendations is at the very minimum get a good radar reflector so you can be seen in the uh, in the radar, and preferably have AIS on the ships as well. Then, yeah, yeah, because then it's for us much easier to to detect, especially if you're having AIS, then we we see you straight, obviously, and also with the reflector, you're giving a, a, a much better signal. So that because we are quite high for us, if you have the proper thing, so we can see you. Well in advance, and most probably we'll take action quite early. And but sometimes, of course, when it comes to funny situations, sometimes, of course, um, some sailing vessels are predictable. So I, maybe you are very experienced, but I guess there are also a lot of sailing who maybe sail not so often. And then sometimes for us or for someone who's driving there, the sailing boats doing then quite quite strange reactions, and then sometimes. You have to understand what he's doing. And not always you can communicate to them because maybe they're not having a GMDS or they're not reacting on any calls. That's sometimes a situation you can have. 
So do you do when you see a boat that's not responding like it should? Do you try to raise them on the VHF often? Yeah, I mean, of course. If the if uh, first of all we are on a cruise ship, we are like quite um, defensive driving. So even if we would have would have our rights, we would before anything happens, we would already alter our course to give more space to the other one because. We don't want to have any close situation as we're having 3,700 3, souls on board. Um, but yeah, if, if, if there's a situation which is unclear, then we also might want to contact the sailing vessel. Yeah, I see a lot more, I see a lot more commercial traffic uh, in the Mediterranean than, than most other places. I'll give you one experience that I had. I was early on when I was started sailing. One year I sailed around Vancouver Island uh, off of Canada. And I was, I'd gone all the way up the inside passage, gone around the, uh, the top end of the of the, of the island, and was on a, out there in the middle of the graveyard of the Pacific they call it, out there, probably ten miles offshore, and I was on a starboard, starboard tack, going balls to the walls. I mean the this, this the 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 wind was perfect, and I was just moving wonderfully through the water and way off in the distance i saw i was watching a um a commercial ship and i kept taking a compass bearing on him and he was still way off in the distance and but as i got closer and closer and closer to him i still kept taking taking compass bearings on him when he was probably still about two miles away we were on a collision course, and so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was, a, I was just about ready to raise him on the radio and see what his intentions were because, of course, I had right-of-way, but I'm going to get out of his way if I need to. Uh, but immediately then, he made an obvious change in course and uh, went out, and once he was clear of me, went back on his original course. So, I mean, he was watching me. I was watching him well before the time that we were in any sort of a serious situation he had altered course as he was supposed to and i thought okay that guy's doing exactly what he's supposed to do because i was watching him and i thought well i have right of way and you're you are to maintain course and speed when you have right of way and the other boat is supposed to move around but you never know on a big ship if that's the case and especially in crowded conditions that you would have in the mediterranean so that was my one experience where I saw an obvious change in course by a, a large ship to avoid me. And, of course, there was plenty of maneuvering room because we're it's just us two out on the west side of Vancouver Island. But that was, uh, that was an interesting experience to have. Have you had to alter course very often to avoid a, a, a sailboat? Uh, it depends also on the areas. That's more for altering courses is really more often than... Uh, Mediterranean, I would say. There you really have, like, uh, some areas, a lot of sailing vessels, especially also around Palma de Mallorca is like mm-hmm. a hotspot or some other places. Um, yeah, then sometimes you also start to alter because we're having, like, um, let's say we have some certain distances we like to keep. For example, a sailing vessel, um, let's say you want to keep at least half a mile or more. So, uh, yeah, that's why maybe for you it's, looks like still safe but for us we're having certain policies maybe we would like start to alter already when you're thinking from your position uh yeah it's still safe but i had also one funny situation or actually i was a bit funny so he was crossing um to to the u.s i guess was it 
or to the anyway I was crossing um, over to the US and then we crossed we we passed one um, sailing boat um, very clear and then later on I was already away from the sailing boat a um, couple of ca- uh, guests approached yeah, our reception and said that they saw a mayday signal uh, from the sailing boat and then we got one or two information that we they um, some more guests also confirmed that they're sawing some uh, mayday signals from this um, sailing boat. So, uh, yeah, the reception informed us on the bridge. We called the captain and then we decided to head back and have a look if the sailing boat is in uh, need. So we went back, uh, turned around and, yeah, approached basically the sailing boat. After a while, when we came closer, we also was able to detect the name. So we started calling him on the radio or whatever. Sailing vessel was not replying. And then he was just heading straight to the sailing boat to come closer. And then suddenly uh, they was calling us and was calling. I think it was Mindshift 6. Mindshift 6, Mindshift 6, this is sailing boat. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name. What they were saying is sailing boat. Can you see us? So they basically was afraid that we are now sailing over them. So that they thought, uh, they didn't recognize that we did the turn. They just thought that we were sailing over them. And then we just basically told them, actually, we're here to help you. And at the end, we found out they had a solar panel on top. And the solar panel to the movement was like blinking in the sun. And that's why some of our guests thought they're doing like an SOS sign. Actually, uh, only the solar panel reflection did it. <laughs> well, I think it's better to be safe than sorry. I'm sure they appreciated you looking out for them. But that took a lot of uh, extra fuel on your part to go back and check it out, I'm sure. Yeah, it was, that was a quite funny conversation. We was, had to chat with them afterwards. And then uh, I actually was on the way to Barbados. And then they were saying, yeah, it should, we should meet up in Barbados. But then we find out. Oh, out that we actually would arrive in two days in Barbados and they would need another six, seven days. So uh, we, we didn't manage to meet up again in Barbados. Okay. Have you ever had to do a, a rescue at sea for anybody? Uh, yes, I actually did rescue, let me think, twice. So once it was also in the Caribbean, We uh, I was also on watch at that time I was still, I think, second second or third officer, and he was sailing, and then we saw um, a small uh, fishing boat, actually, my um, officer of the watch at that time, the first officer, he saw a small fishing boat, and I mean, it's nothing unparticular, but was quite far off the coast, I don't know how many miles, it was, it was quite far out, and so we just proceeding on our track, which was then closer to that vessel, and then he was monitoring that one and then at one point it looks like in the front that the line is going into the water and then he was asking me Stefan uh, what is the water depth here I said it's uh, one, one point, uh, 1,800 almost 2,000 meters because it looked like an anchor this, this forward chain and then he thought there's something strange why they have like here an anchor of this is, um, depth and when he was coming closer we also saw that there was uh, waving something wet so we also we informed the captain, and then with the agreement of the captain, we uh, changed our course, went closer, and actually yes, there was two guys from Puerto Rico, and they was yeah already ten days on sea. They heading like a, a nice fishing boat, and they went out for fishing, but somehow they 
didn't calculate correctly the fuel, so they actually went out of fuel. And then they were drifting already for 10 days. Uh, had almost no water anymore, no food, nothing. So they was quite happy. So we could take them on board, and then they got the cabin, some food. And then, uh, yeah, next port, I think, where we went um, in Jamaica, uh, we wasn't able to give them ashore. So, but they had their anchor down. Did you ask them why they had their anchor down? I think that there was not the anchor. I think it was a sea anchor, which I was fine oh, using. Okay. So not uh, drifting too far away. But from our side, because you're looking far away, you just saw like a line going forward. Okay. Um, yeah. So I think it's just tried not to drift for, uh, further away. But obviously with 10 days, it's a long time. So they abandoned their vessel then. So did is that what you took them off, off the vessel and then they abandoned it? Uh, yeah, exactly. So we we having a rescue boat. So we dropped our rescue boat overboard uh, down the water. We mended. We had uh, megaphones that was communicating with us. So we didn't have any possibility to take this fishing boat on board. So the only thing uh, we offered, we informed uh, the government or the authority there, gave the position, and they basically I don't know if they got the boat back if they were searching afterwards. But we basically informed the authority that there's like a drifting unmanned boat and we took only then the two persons on board well that's that's interesting i'm so you're out there you've actually rescued a couple people and that's that's great that's great anything else that you'd like to touch base on before we finish the interview anything that any experiences that you'd like to share with our audience or any advice the good advice you gave was make sure we get a good radar reflector and ais preferably or both and uh, any any other advice for cruising sailors when dealing with uh, big ships like yours? No, in, in general, I would say, uh, um, yeah, on a cruise ship, you always have to say um, they're always one lookout. I would just say on the other ships, especially on cargo ships, you shouldn't rely always that they're always watching. So because they, especially if you're in the open sea, and let's say not too close to land, um, they're not, not always that good man at the cruise ship because like I said they have only one officer there and this officer might not watch the whole time the radar or the not not having the whole time a lookout so then it's always also important to make sure if you're coming close to him or whatever that he also recognizes you not that there's some especially in the nighttime I mean daytime is a totally different thing you can see very far but especially during nighttime it can be quite difficult because mostly all the sailing boats don't have the that huge light, so sometimes it's quite difficult if you're on a height like us, 40, 50 meters height, it's not that easy sometimes to detect the sailing vessel right away. Yeah, and you just don't have depth perception at night. You just don't have a feel for how far away vessels are at night. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, it's really hard to have good depth perception at night. I did have a, a one experience when I was sailing from Chios up to some northern Greek islands, and I was on... Um, I was on autopilot, so I was motoring, and there was an, a a merchant. Mer- it was a, it was a. I don't know if it was a tanker. I can't remember what it was. It was probably a tanker of some sort, and he was coming from my port side, and I was. We were in a crossing situation, and technically, I had the right of way, but he was not. I don't think he was watching because I kept getting closer and closer and closer. Finally, I had to take evasive maneuver to. Uh, to turn and go around to his turn. I'm not going to get in a fight with a big ship like that, but that was one where definitely there was nobody on watch. 
and <laughs> I just had to uh, had to yeah. alter course to uh, protect myself. That's and like you say, probably nobody was on watch. It was during the day though, and that was just moving along. And I saw him on the horizon on the left side, and he passed me going to the right. So, yeah, it happens. You just got to watch out for yourself. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Stefan, it's been great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, let's keep in touch. If you're ever in the uh, Mediterranean. Hey, oh, I wanted to, I did want to ask you, what's it like? Are all your cruise ships grounded? Right. I mean, not f- sailing right now or because I'm, I'm talking to you just as we're starting to come off the covid virus shutdown. We're talking on. Um, May 15th is when we're conducting this interview. What is it like right now for the uh, for your company? Yeah, for us, for the cruise industry, so already, I think, I don't know how many weeks already, we suspended all our cruises, so we sent all our guests home. And now they're still fighting to get the last, last crew home. So we're still having uh, one ship where we have some crew on it, because it's quite tricky. To, to get the permission. So you you need a port which allows you to go alongside, then you need the authority to allows you to make the travel arrangement, then you need an airplane or something which is going in that direction, and then you need the other country, basically where you bring the person, to accept you. So that's like a huge process behind to bring the persons um, yeah, back to the home country. And otherwise, uh, at the moment, we're having like... 100 crews to learn each ship, which is not uh, full anymore. And this 100 crews basically to maintain the ship. And at the moment, like all ships, it's not only the cruise ship, it's also the whole industry. Um, we are struggling with crew changes. So basically, the officers and captains who are now on board, they can't be relieved at the moment because of the coronavirus. We are not uh, basically allowed to make crew changes because you know, we're having, first of all, the travel restrictions. And the next thing is, it's quite difficult to make sure that the person who's coming on board don't have the coronavirus. Otherwise, I mean, you would contain all the ship. So that at the moment, I mean, that's not only the cruise, it's the whole shipping industry. It's quite difficult to do the cruise, uh, the cruise changes. So for all the officers who are on board, they have to extend their contracts. For me or for all the officers at home, they're basically having more vocation or they have to wait longer for the next contract. That's basically at the moment the situation. And yeah, we are working it, or basically the, my company or the, all the companies working on some new procedures. So they um, may, uh, suggesting like procedures, reducing the guests, so starting maybe for our ships with less than 1,000 guests, having a special single place, like the same in the restaurants. Now in Germany, all the restaurants slowly open and what they're doing, they have to make sure that everybody in the restaurant have 1.5 meters distance, that nothing is double touched, and on so on so on. And the same procedures they're trying now to to implement on the cruise ships, and then maybe in June, July, they're hoping that some 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 procedures we can start the cruise again. But but at the moment, really nobody knows. Nobody can tell you when we can start again. All right, still up in the air then. Yeah, that's. That's tough. Are you getting paid? Exactly. Are you getting paid while you're on vacation? Um, I am at the moment not because it depends on the your contract. So there are contracts, uh, permanent contracts, but the most common contract is like I'm I'm getting my salary on board. 
Okay, so you when you're working, you get paid, but when you're not, you're you're not getting paid. Then. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You get paid more. For me at the moment, it's not a big problem because I'm, uh, as you first said, also I'm doing at the moment a study. So I'm doing uh, my master degree in international maritime management. So I'm writing at the moment at my master thesis. So uh, yeah, I'm quite fine with the situation. I'm waiting at the storm ends. Okay, so you're actually glad to have the time to work on your master's thesis then, probably. Yeah, otherwise I would have done it afterwards, but now then I can do it now and go afterwards cruising again, so, yeah. All right. Thank you, Stefan. You have uh, good sales yeah. in the future, okay? Yeah, thank you. I hope to see you somewhere in the Mets, and then maybe I can show you around my ship. Let's see. That would be fine. That would be fun. I, would, I see your ships. I've seen two... Tui ships come in various ports, and I wasn't familiar with what it, what the company was. Now I will, and uh, just when you're sailing, I'll let you know when I'm heading out, and just let me know what ships you plan on being on. And if I ever see your ships, I'll come over and knock on the door, knock on the hall, and see if I can say hello to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And again, boy, we're gonna have a nice dinner together. Definitely, that would be fun. You take care, yeah. Stefan. Thanks a lot. One last thing before we go. If you want to support this podcast, there's two ways to do it. You can become a Patreon, which I appreciate, which would be at patreon.com backslash medsailor. And the second way is to educate yourself by buying some of my audio lessons for preparing for the ASA 101, the 103, or the 104. And those links are at the website, which is medsailor.com. Thanks for listening, and if you have friends that would enjoy this podcast, share it with them. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.